Hi, Pastor Doug Van Tice here. Thank you so much for tuning into this sermon this morning. Uh, before we begin our sermon, which is based on Genesis 22, 1 to 18, I invite you all to bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a really good chance that when you evaluate your life, it very much looks like a mountain range, doesn't it? There are times in this life where you are standing on the very peaks of the mountain and times when your life is, is stuck in one of the valleys that stand before the mountain. Those mountaintop times in your life, well, they're the times when absolutely everything is going right, where it seems like God is blessing you out of your gourd and, and well, it's like you've been given the, the proverbial golden touch. Those mountaintop peak times of your life, they're the times when, well, when your family is absolutely flourishing when your children are succeeding in virtual school, where your career, even though you haven't spent uh, or even stepped foot in office for the last couple months, your career is succeeding. It's those times when your friendships are blossoming, even though you haven't, uh, you've been socially distant and maybe even quarantined. During these mountaintop times in your life, it's really easy for your faith to cling to the Lord who provides. It's really easy for your faith to, to say that God is nothing but good. But what about those times in your life when you're not standing on one of the peaks of the mountain, but rather you've been cascaded into one of those dark valleys? During those times when we're stuck in the dark valleys, it's hard to see God as anything but good. Right? You see God as someone who is bad, and instead of being the Lord who provides, he seems to be the Lord who takes. Standing in those valleys, those dark valleys, those are the times when your kids are, are rebelling against everything that you say. There are those times when your family has a rift in it that nothing seems to heal, where your marriage might be suffering an extreme problem, where your friends have abandoned you, maybe when COVID has struck close to home, or, or maybe even worse than that, you've lost somebody that you loved. During those times when you're standing in the valley, it seems like the well of God's goodness that has provided for you for the, for the entirety of your life has seemingly dried up. This past week, a, a friend of mine called me, and he's a pastor in rural Nebraska. He, you see, he wanted to tell me about this uh, man in his congregation. This man was 54 years old, and he was a very strong leader. He was the husband to a wonderful wife, a father to beautiful children. And then this past week, he contracted COVID, and within a matter of 24 hours, he had died. Contracting COVID and having COVID ravage his body had sent a blood clot to his heart and stopped it. And all of a sudden, this family who had for so long stood on one of the peaks of the mountains of this life had been cascaded into a valley surrounded by the throes of death. In this valley, they were filled with grief and pain and sorrow because a wife had lost her husband, a father, or a children had lost uh, their father. It was awful. And they had a really hard time praising, praising God because the Lord who provided became the Lord who took away. When you hear about a family like that, you feel for them, don't you? And do you know why that is? Well, it's not just because you have experienced death, but it's also because you know what it's like to be in one of those dark valleys. And when you are stuck in one of those dark valleys, it is very hard, or not very hard, it's very easy for your faith to forget the simple truths about God. It's very, it's very easy for us to forget that God is nothing but good and wants nothing but the ultimate good for you. It's really easy for us to forget that the Lord promises you that he is going to provide for you even in the direst of situations. 
The Lord provides is somewhat of an anthem for the life of Abraham, the man that we hear about in our first reading for this morning. You see, from the very first time that God called Abraham to the time that Abraham rested with his ancestors, God provided for him every step of the way. While Abraham was still living in Mesopotamia, God showed up and called him and made a covenant with him. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. This promise for Abraham, it meant two things. Number one, it meant that he was finally going to have a son, that he was going to have an heir, something that he and Sarah so desperately wanted but hadn't been able to have. But maybe more importantly, this meant for Abraham that that Isaac was going to be the one through whom the line of the Savior that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 was preserved. But when God made Abraham that covenant, he and Sarah were both old. Sarah was well past the, the age of childbearing. And as barren year after barren year went on, that promise that God made to Abraham grew distant in his heart. But just as that promise was growing distant in his heart, God showed up and he reiterated that promise. He took Abraham outside and he said, look to the heavens, count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. The Lord provided another promise. But after the Lord provided that promise, more and more time went on and Sarah and Abraham weren't getting any younger. And when Abraham was 99 years old and Sarah was 89 years old, they didn't think it was ever going to be possible for them to have a son, the son that the Lord promised. But just once again, as that promise was that the Lord provided was growing distant in their heart, the Lord showed up yet again and he provided another promise. He said, at this time next year, Sarah will have a child and you are to name him Isaac. The Lord provided. And just as the Lord had promised, by that time next year, Sarah and Abraham had a son and they named him Isaac. And Isaac was the light of their life. They loved Isaac so much and Isaac was to be their heir. He was to be the one through whom the line of the Savior would come. He was to be the one whose, whose familial line was Israel, the chosen people of God. The Lord promised, the Lord provided. This is the anthem for Abraham's life. But then you get to, it, <clears throat> excuse me, you get to the events in Genesis chapter 22 and it seems like the Lord who provides turns against his very nature because God shows up with a test and he tests Abraham's faith. Now, it's important before we, go on and, before we go on and look at that test to distinguish and make the distinction between testing and tempting. Tempting someone is something that God never does because to tempt someone means to try to get them to do something that they know is wrong. Tempting is not the work of God. Tempting is the work of Satan. God never tempts, but God does test. And when God shows up to test you, he does it for the explicit purpose of strengthening your faith and deepening your commitment to him. And this is exactly what God does for Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. God tests Abraham and the, the test of his, of his faith centers around a danger that you and I all face. You see, Abraham, just like us, was in danger of loving the created thing more than the creator who provided it. He was in danger of loving the provided thing more than the one who provided it. And this is why the test that God gives to Abraham centers around the very thing that he is in danger of loving more than God himself. He shows up to Abraham and said, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Abraham's test centers around Isaac, his only son, the son whom he loves. And do you, <clears throat> and do you notice how Abraham responds? 
Abraham doesn't backtalk. He doesn't question God. He doesn't come up with a whole list of reasons and excuses as to, as to why he can't do that. No, instead, he simply listens to the Lord. He pulls himself up by the sandal straps and he goes. He grabs a donkey and he loads it up with wood. He takes his son Isaac and two of his servants and they set out. And after a three-day journey, Abraham looks up and standing there in the valley before him was this giant mountain, the mountain of sacrifice, the place that God showed him. And when they reach that mountain, Abraham gives his servants two, he gives his servants a set of instructions. He says, stay here while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. The way that Abraham gives his instructions and the content of those instructions is pretty incredible to me. Because he is standing there in that valley, a valley that you and I know so well, and it is surely a moment filled with fear and trepidation. And yet Abraham, God gives to Abraham this unbridled strength of faith. This strength of faith enables him to see the, the sacrifice of his son as a way that he will worship God. This is absolutely incredible, something that can only be done through faith. But there's something more subtle here uh, and maybe even more striking that if you're not listening or reading carefully, you might have missed it. Abraham says to his servants, we will worship and we will come back to you. Abraham didn't say that I will come back to you, implying that he would come back down that mountain solo. No, he says we will come back to you. Isaac and myself, we will come back to you. But how could Abraham confidently say that? How could he say that that he and his son were going to come back when he knew what he was about to go do? He was about to walk up that mountain and he was off to, going to offer his son as a sacrifice to the Lord. Well, we don't find that, this out in Genesis chapter 22, but if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, the writer to the Hebrews clues us into what is going on with Abraham's faith. The writer to the Hebrews says this, By faith, Abraham, when tested by God, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. That moment before he went up the mountain to sacrifice his son, Abraham had all the promises the Lord provided on his heart. He had the promise that Isaac would be, that he would be a great nation and that through, through Isaac his offspring would be reckoned. He had the promise that Isaac would be the one through whom the line of the Savior would be preserved and eventually come into this world. God, Abraham had all of the promises the Lord had provided on his heart. And his faith was centered on the Lord who provides. And so Abraham reasoned that if God made this promise, he would not take it back. Abraham reasoned that if God made this promise, that he would not let it fail. Abraham reasoned by faith that if God wanted him to sacrifice his son, that surely God could raise that son from the dead. And so with this unbridled strength of faith, Abraham went to do what the Lord had instructed him to carry out. He placed the wood on his son. Abraham himself grabbed the fire and the knife and they went up that mountain. And we're not told how old Isaac is at this point, but he's probably a teenager or around teenage, uh, teenager's age. And as they're walking up that mountain, Isaac asks a very insightful question. He says, Father, the, the wood and the fire are here, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham's faith is centered right where it should be, on the Lord who provides and he turns to his son and he says, the Lord himself will provide this sacrifice. When you and I are standing in one of those valleys, one of those times when nothing in this life is, seems to go right, these valleys that are dark, where life is incredibly difficult, how do you and I respond? Do we respond like Abraham, who simply says, well, the Lord will provide? 
Or do you respond like I have all too often in this life? That standing in this valley, it seems like God has forgotten me, and in my hour of utmost need, God has abandoned me. The reality is life in this world is incredibly hard because we live in a world that is, that is racked by sin and is completely broken. And life will, if it hasn't already, will get harder for you. This is the result of sin being in the world. And when you're standing in that valley it's, and thinking that God has abandoned you, the natural thing to happen is for us to, in turn, abandon the Lord who provides. And I want you to understand that this is exactly what Satan wants you to do. Satan doesn't want you to rely on the Lord who provides. He doesn't even want you to see the Lord as the one who provides. Instead, he wants you to see the Lord as the one who constantly takes and takes and takes. This is exactly what Satan wants for you because he doesn't want you to rely on the Lord. Instead, he wants you to rely on yourself or other people who are broken by sin. He wants you to rely on your own strength and your own abilities to be able to pull yourself up out of the darkness of this valley and to provide for yourself everything that you need. But I want you to understand this, that those moments that we are standing in the valley, in a valley of darkness that it seems like no light can shine through, these are the exact moments, it is for these exact moments that the Lord has given you your faith. And it is in these moments that the Lord wants you to cling to him, the Lord who provides ever more tightly. Because the Lord who has provided you with faith has also provided you with a promise. He says that he will never abandon you. He also promises you that he will provide for you every good and gracious thing that you need to sustain your life here in this world. He promises that he is going to provide for you even when it's in ways that we couldn't or or wouldn't even plan for ourselves. The Lord promises that he is going to provide for us just like he provided for Abraham. When Abraham and Isaac reached the top of Mount Moriah, Abraham built an altar to the Lord and he put the wood on it and then he bound up his son and placed his son on that wood. And then he grabbed the knife to slay his son. And as just before the knife came down, the Lord provided once again. The angel of the Lord provided intervening words. Listen to what he says. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you, you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham had passed that test of faith that the Lord had provided him. In his heart, he had sacrificed his son, and he trusted in the promise of the Lord who provides. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And once again, the Lord provided. Because when Abraham looked up after those intervening words from the Lord, he saw a ram caught in, the, caught in the thicket by its horns. And he took that ram and he sacrificed it to the Lord as a burnt offering. The Lord promises, the Lord provides. This is an anthem for Abraham's life. When you look at the, all of the events of Abraham's life, you can see that the Lord did nothing but provide for him. He provided Abraham his faith and opportunities to strengthen that faith. He provided Abraham with an heir, with a son a son whom he loved very dearly. The Lord promised, the Lord provided. This is the anthem for Abraham's life, but it is not the anthem for his life alone. It is the anthem for your life too, because the very Lord who provided provided for Abraham is the same Lord to which your faith clings. And the Lord has provided for you every good and gracious thing that you have in this life. And no matter where you are in this life, whether right now you are standing in one of those peaks of this life or you are stuck in one of those dark valleys, you, you can do nothing but admit that the Lord has provided for you and provided for you immensely. 
He's given you the home in which you live, the clothing on your back, the food that sustains your body. He's given you, if, if he has so blessed you in this way, he's given you a family with which you can spend time and love. But more than that, he's given you a place where you can gather and worship him and have access to the means of grace, the very things that God says he uses to strengthen your faith. He has given you a, a family of believers united in a common faith who are there to support you for those times that for those times that, the, or that, that you are stuck in this life in one of those dark valleys. And look, if you walk away from this sermon with nothing else, I want you to cling tightly to this promise. That if the Lord cares enough for you to provide for you for the things that you need in this life, a life that is perishing, a life that will not last, how much more will he be willing to provide for you for the life to come? At the very end of this reading from Genesis chapter 22, the Lord reiterates a promise that he first made to Abraham a few chapters ago. He says, all nations on earth will be blessed through you. This wasn't just a promise that was meant for, that was meant for those related by blood to Abraham. This was a promise meant for those who were related in faith to Abraham. In fact, it was meant for the whole world. God says, all nations will be blessed through you. This is a promise that is talking about you. You see, this whole, uh, this whole account of Abraham and Isaac, it is foreshadowing for what, for what God would do. Because 2,000 years after Abraham ascended Mount Moriah, God would send the perfect lamb for the sacrifice. He provided his son, his one and only son, to be that lamb, his son, Jesus Christ. The Lord provided him. And when John the Baptist sees the one the Lord provided for, provided for this sacrifice, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In a city called Jerusalem, which sat upon, sat upon Mount Moriah, on a hill just outside of that city, the Lamb provided for the sacrifice was lifted high on a cross, and he shed his blood for your sins. He died the death that you deserve, so that you would never have to, to face a death like that. The Lord provided a sacrifice whose blood was spilled to cover over your sin, to remove your guilt from you, and to assure you that all of your sins are forgiven. And it is because of this sacrifice that the Lord provided that I can confidently assure you week after week and provide you with this promise that your sins are all forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It is because of this sacrifice of the Lamb that I can provide you with this assurance that the Lamb who was sacrificed is right now preparing a place for you in the mansions of heaven. And there will come a day very soon when the Lord will come back and he will take you to, to dwell with him forever in this mansion. The Lord will, and it is in this place that the Lord will provide for you nothing but good and gracious things, where he will provide for you nothing but perfection. This is the promise that, that God provided to Abraham, that Abraham passed down to Isaac, that has been passed down for centuries to generations of faithful men and women of God. It is the promise that has been provided to you by faith. And it's also that very promise that my friend was able to provide for that family who was grieving the loss of their husband, their father, their friend. At the funeral this past Friday, my, my friend was able to confidently tell these people that, that their father, their husband, he died clinging in faith to the Lord who provides. This man knew by faith that the lamb was sacrificed for his sins and that his sins were all forgiven. And now he is enjoying the perfection of heaven because of the sacrifice that the Lord provided. The Lord promises, the Lord provides. This was the anthem for Abraham's life, but it's not his anthem alone. 
The Lord promises, the Lord provides. This is your anthem too. God grant it. Amen.